it used to be a pretty easy story to say to someone, you know, take a look at that, you know, one or two year old used car, you'll save quite a bit of money. I would tell you that before you buy a one or two year old used car today, make sure you do some very good research on how inexpensive the new one is. Welcome to Financial Sobriety. You might think this is a podcast about money, traditional money. Oh, but you'd be wrong if that's what you were thinking. This is a completely different conversation. This is a conversation that's going to completely challenge everything you think you know about money in life. You know, there are three relationships that can get pretty complicated. That relationship we have with money, that relationship we have with people, and that oh-so-tricky relationship we have with ourselves. And let me tell you, those three relationships, they're pretty tied together closely. And when one of those relationships falls out of whack, it might have an effect on the others. Now, if you're like most people I've met and you struggle a little bit in one of those relationships, then you are absolutely in the right place. My name's Matthew Grishman. I'm the co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered right here in Northern California. I'm joined by my business partner, Jim Gebhardt who got this whole party started when he opened the doors of our firm back in May of 2005. Now, Jim and I are on a pretty big mission here. We created this podcast because we want to have some impact. We're here to help 1 million families become more intentional with their money and with the relationship they have with the person looking back at them in the mirror. Episode 30. It's it's a new month. Episode 30. Yeah, new month, new theme. And what's our theme this month there, Captain? Well, somebody told me that on President's Weekend, it's the number one weekend of car sales in the entire year. So it makes sense to me to make February finance February. 88% of statistics are made up. I thought that was 83% of statistics. So if that's the biggest car buying weekend of the year, that sounds like an incredible opportunity to help our people either be prepared or not, right? I mean, just don't go. Absolutely. Uh, but if you are in the market for a car, and that happens to people at all different stages of life, for instance, my uh, oldest daughter, she suddenly has the very urgent need, apparently, for uh, a transportation. So car buying has been part of the oxygen in our house lately. Did she take that class junior year of high school or senior year of high school? Well, she failed at junior year, so she had to repeat it senior year. Ah. And it was a pass, no pass kind of thing, because we can't say fail. So it's either pass, no pass. You guys are lucky that you had that class because I've never seen the class in high school or college where they teach you about the different ways to use debt, whether you're financing a car, financing a house, you're going to go get these cool little plastic gizmos called credit cards. Oh, she got one of those too. Mazel tov. Yeah. A lot of conversation around that too. So full disclaimer, there ain't no class. Ah, okay. Good. Just funny haha, being over-caffeinated on a... Uh, Winter day here, pre-February. So she's going through the school of hard knocks when it comes to learning about the way different ways to potentially finance a car. She is going through the school of dad. Does she listen to the podcast? And all of the bumps, bruises, scratches, mistakes, course corrections, all of it that has come with my 50 years on earth. And God bless her, she's open. She's open to, to listening. And it hasn't all been me. Beth has been very integral. Good word. Right? In the conversation around particularly the credit card and 
how to use a credit card. And it's, it's been so fascinating just – and I, uh, this has nothing to do with our daughter, but just how clueless she is on the concept of how a credit card works. And it's been really eye-opening to me to have conversations with her like, so, so I get a $1,000 uh, limit on my credit card, and so is there $1,000 on the credit card? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. So it's not a prepaid debit card. That's kind of what she thinks it well, is. Well, that's kind of what she thinks it is. And she has she's heard of other stories of people that have gotten a credit card and went out and spent willy-nilly not recognizing that that was credit. That like was, you said, not a prepaid debit card with $1,000 on it like you know a gift card. Credit meaning somebody else's money, not her money. Somebody else's money that you get to then pay back. Ah, or, or like what I like to call OPM. Yeah. Other oh. people's money. Oh, please. Right. She's she's getting an opportunity to use some OPM. So we've learned about the credit process, right, applying for it. We've learned about how the credit card company makes money. Like we've slowed the conversation down and explained that if you don't pay the bill, they get to charge you interest. Can you adopt me? I, I, I think I have in 2008. <laughs> Five and 2011, and then again in 15. Because these would have been so helpful to me eons and eons ago because the mistakes that I have made and what they've cost me financially when it comes to mortgage debt, car debt, credit card debt. I mean, we've talked about my credit card nightmares. We haven't gotten into some of the mortgage nightmares that I've had. Perhaps we might, but man, I could have used that education so many years ago. And my education is equally by the hard school of the school of hard knocks. Well, I guess we got to talk about planting trees again. Precisely. So I, I am not sitting here as the perfect person. I have had credit card debt at different times in my life. I'd like to think they were for good reasons. They weren't for materialistic reasons. They were investing in a business and they were investing, frankly, in, in our children in different times when we didn't have the cash flow based on the business. In these next couple of episodes, we're going to bring on a few guests that are experts in the field of credit and finance. We're going to be bringing in somebody to talk about the car financing world. So we're going to have lots of conversation with some of these experts on financing. I am super grateful for the guest we have dialing in today to join us virtually in studio. His name's John Dreeby, and he's the principal and owner of 4NE Auto Group which is an auto group that owns five dealerships here locally in the greater Sacramento area. That's Nissan and Elk Grove, Mazda and Elk Grove, Mazda Roseville, Infinity Elk Grove, and Infinity Roseville. And John is just an absolute pro in the automobile industry. And given this February finance theme that we've got going on this month, again, we're talking about this idea of building relationships with the absolute best in the businesses of Places that our money happens to touch. Sure. And, and uh, buying cars is not what it used to be in terms of price tags. Oh, it's, it's not. It's a, big, what, it's a big financial transaction. It's one of the largest financial transactions we'll ever make. So, I'm John, I'm grateful that you're here today. You're one of the best in the business, and we are lucky to have you. So, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Glad to be here, and hopefully I can add some value to the conversation. Absolutely. Well, let's kind of start it off with just hearing a little bit about your background. You've shared with Jim and me prior to our conversation now uh, a little bit about what got you started in the car business. I think it's a great story. I'd, I'd love to hear it again. How, what got you started? Well, I think it's a pretty good story because back a long time ago, I answered an ad for a bartender or a car salesman on the same day. 
and applied for those jobs. And, and needless to say, they hired me as the car salesman. And that was back in uh, 1981. So this marks my 40th year in the industry. Oh, wow. That's awesome. What kind of cars were you selling 40 years ago? The Dodge, uh, excuse me, the the uh, Oldsmobile uh, Delta 88 Royale? <laughs> Actually, I was selling Volkswagens and Mazdas for nice. a, a place in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And they're still in existence today and one of the biggest in the country. That is a great story. So, I mean, in 40 years of experience in the automobile industry, the whole concept of President's Day weekend being one of the busiest car buying weekends of the year, you know, the timing of the show and, and having you on today is to help listeners with that, with potentially that transaction, right? And so, you know, as you, as you look back at how the industry has changed, what are a couple of the biggest things that you've noticed in terms of, you know, from the consumer perspective and the decision to buy a car, what things jump out at you? Oh, it's it's all about information that's so readily available. I mean, when I started selling cars many years ago, the only way to find out about a car was to get up and go into a dealership and spend a lot of time there and, and work through that process. And if you wanted to find the, the invoice or things like that, you could go to the library and maybe find that information that might be dated. Today, all of that information is immediately available online. And most people today do 16 to 20 hours worth of online research. And then they only visit a few car dealerships because they've pretty well made their mind up before they even walk in the door, where in the past it was the other way around. You went from store to store to store trying to figure out what you wanted. So they're coming in much more armored with information on the make, model, options, all those kinds of things as they, as they set foot at your dealership. I would say the vast majority of people walk into a dealership today knowing exactly what they want to buy, and they're just there to affirm the fact that everything they've read and, and learned about is true, and then they get a good feeling from the company that they want to do business with. So we get questions all the time from our wealth management clients on, you know, should I buy the car with cash? Should I finance the car? Should I lease the car? And it's, it's such a stumbling block for them. It, it is, in my 25 years of being a financial advisor, it's one of the questions that gum up the client the most. The older clients, I would say, are still of the mindset, like my dear blessed father who's bought every car with cash since 1944 when he got out of the Army, excuse me, out of the Navy. That, I mean, that's hard to do today. Price of cars are so much higher. The cars themselves are so much more sophisticated I mean, do you find people still own cars for 10 and 20 years and they drive the wheels off of them? Or do you see people coming in and doing transactions more frequently? Oh, I don't think you can pin that down one way or the other. It's gotcha. still that there's a vast group of people that hold on to their cars for a long, long time and put a lot of miles on them and they're very comfortable and very happy with them. And then there's people that just want a new vehicle all the time. And so when it comes to questions like, well, first of all, should I pay cash? Well, I mean, if you're in a position where you have the cash, really the question is, what's the interest rate on the loan versus what can I earn on my money? Sure. And nowadays, there's lots of 0% financing, so you're better off to keep your money and take the 0%. You also often get asked, you know, do I, should I lease or should I buy? Well, that comes down to, do you want a lower monthly payment or do you want to get a car that you might not be able to afford if you had if you bought it? And so what leasing really does is drive your payment down. But the downside to leasing is that at the end of typically three years, you have to redo this process all over again. You either 
walk away from your car and give it back to the dealer. And you, as long as you were within the mileage guidelines, like typically 10, 12 or 15,000 miles a year. And as long as you don't bang it up, then you just hand them the keys and you walk away. Now you got to go out and do this again though. So if some people that lease cars are just have a, an endless payment, it, it's always there, but they're always in a new car. Whereas the people you spoke of earlier that want to keep them for a long time, well, eventually you stop making those payments, even if they're on a five or six year loan, and then you get a chance to drive a car without that expenditure for a number of years. Sure. And you bring up a great point. Thank you for explaining that. I mean, it seems like it becomes a very personal decision. And obviously, the more we know about an individual, obviously, Jim, you and I can help guide them on which of these options might make some more sense to them. One of the things that I'm really curious about, and Perhaps, John, you can help me in how I advise clients in making this decision. One of the things that I've noticed is how quickly technology in automobiles is changing. For example, this Gizmoch that I own here is the newest version of the iPhone. It's the iPhone 12 Pro. The last phone that I had was an iPhone 10. And what I noticed when I got my truck lease, I leased a, a Dodge Ram pickup truck in 2020, I noticed that because my phone was a year older than the truck technology, it wasn't syncing up with all the, the Bluetooth and, and all the technology in the car. And, and so I guess what my question is, is are you seeing that with technology advancing so quickly in the automobile industry that it makes as much sense for somebody to think about owning a car for 15 or 20 years does that make as much sense given how quickly technology is moving versus the idea of perhaps leasing a car and being for able three to, years yeah, or for something. three years and then whatever the new technology is in three years, I've got it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so, you know, there was always a philosophy, especially if you have a, a child that needs their first car to go out and buy them an older used car, right? Because they're probably not going to take great care of it. They don't deserve a new car. You don't want to set them off and spoil them. But nowadays, when you look at the safety technology that's in some of the entry-level cars, you need to ask yourself, hmm, do I want to put my child in an older car or a safer car? And so I think that goes right to your point that as technology constantly is added to these vehicles today with, you know, you get your, your car starts to drift a little bit. The lane departure warning tells you you're going out of the way. It'll tell you if you put your turn signal on and there's a car next to you and you don't see it, it'll stop for you if you don't stop. And so as a parent, I would say to myself, I think I'd rather have my child in that vehicle than in an older car just to prove a point if, if it's affordable to me, of course. Did right. my daughter call you yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, and then they learn that one too. Yeah, that's good. They they say, "Hey, Dad, what you know? You want me to be safe?" <laughs> well, because my my twenty year twenty year old daughter is like a dog on a bone right now for a car, <laughs> and she's like, "Well, what kind of car should I get?" And I'm a little bit of an old fashioned stickler on this, John. I'm like, "I don't know, dear. What kind of car can you afford?" And she's looking at me like, you know, Daddy Warbucks, like I'm going out to buy her a new car. And I am exactly what you just described, right? Because I had my old bucket of bolts and, you know, would short out and die on me on the side of the road. And, you know, my dad would just kind of go, okay, well, figure it out, son. You know, I, I figured it out in my 1947 Ford. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. That's, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you bring up an excellent point, And that really drives home the concept for me, because I know with my older clients, I am often, you know, when we're doing financial planning, they're like, well, you know, 
Bob says I need a new car. I'm like, okay, well, what are you driving now? Well, I'm driving a 1994 Vol- Volvo with 287,000 <laughs> miles on it. And they're somewhat hesitant to buy a, a new model car, right? A 2020, 21 kind of mar with all the technology in it because it overwhelms them and they don't know how to use it all. But what you're describing is really, I mean, there's an educational opportunity there for an older client, let alone a younger client like my 20-year-old daughter, who we would all benefit from that lane departure warning and all those safety features and all that stuff. That's really, that's super helpful because I I know it's going to change how I help the conversation with clients around why they might want a newer car with all that technology. Yeah, well, you you mentioned the telephone earlier that, you know, we're all can see each other on this Zoom call we're on and everybody's got their phone sitting next to them and they never leave our sides. Well, when we get in our cars, if you have driven a car with Apple CarPlay, once you do, you, you don't want to drive a car without it. I mean, from a technological standpoint, you want that feature because it makes using your phone so seamless on a drive. Absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree more. One of our vehicles in the family fleet has it, and we all want to drive that vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we just, my parents, I'm really grateful for their generosity. They just shipped us out from the East Coast, a 2005 Subaru Forester for my youngest son to drive. This is a fun story. Because my whole thought behind this, kind of like you were sharing before, I'm a little biased and old school that, you know, my younger son is a lot more like me. My older son, he drives more like my wife. He's responsible. He looks both ways. He's not in a rush. My younger son, he's like the old man here. He's, He's a chip off the old block. I think I totaled my parents' brand-new Buick Century station wagon with wood siding within six weeks of getting my driver's license. Yeah, but it was like 14 tons, so you didn't hurt anything. Well, exactly. But the poor car was totaled, and Mom and Dad learned a quick lesson about I'm driving a piece of crap going forward. So I've always had it in my head that my son should drive something that I'm okay with him totaling because he's likely— to get in some kind of an accident. But now with what you're sharing with me, I'm, I'm kind of opening my mind up to the idea that perhaps something with a little bit more safety-rich feature with new technology makes a little bit more sense. I mean, I, I understand my insurance cost is lower, the cost of replacement of the car is lower. But on the other hand, there are some safety features that could potentially save this knucklehead's life if he does get in to that car wreck that I'm worried about. So I appreciate that perspective. Yeah, well, the only good news is that 2005 Subaru is probably worth more than you think in today's used car market. So you could trade that in and make it much easier to get that nice new car for him. Oh, wow. (laughs) Is the used car market pretty hot because of the pandemic? The used car market is ridiculously hot. Wow. It's hotter than we've ever seen it. And the pandemic has driven it because there are lots of people that said, hey, I'm not going to take mass transit anymore. And oh boy, this idea of rideshare that was so neat isn't so neat anymore when you're worried about getting into a car that other people have been in and out of. And so lots of people went out and have bought used cars. And there's also internet-based used car companies that are becoming more popular. And their demand is insatiable right now. And Hmm. so it used to be a pretty easy story to say to someone, you know, take a look at that, you know, one or two-year-old used car, you'll save quite a bit of money. I would tell you that before you buy a one or two year old used car today, make sure you do some very good research on how inexpensive the new one is because the used cars are overpriced in a lot of cases right now. Wow. That's that's amazing to hear because I know, I mean, Jim, you and I were talking about this 
probably two, three years ago about how, you know, we were reading articles about how there was such an incredible supply in the used car market because of how many people were starting to go buy new, that prices, I mean, the value that you could find in the used car market was incredible. And to think that this COVID environment has completely shifted the demand cycle of that, where used cars are now, the prices have been driven higher and there's actually value back in the new car market again. That's incredible. Yeah, important consideration really is in today's market. So what do you see in terms of the the evolution of the electric vehicle, right? I mean, here in California, we've kind of had a decree from the higher powers that gas-powered automobiles will be a thing of the past in a number of years. What do you, What do you see in the way of that coming into the everyday home and not just the, the luxury car market right now? Well, look, electric cars are fantastic. They're a lot fewer moving parts. They have instant torque, which means, you know, as soon as you hit the gas, they go quick. The only problem is you can't pull up and put gas in them and be back on the road in five minutes. And so it depends on your lifestyle and what your needs are. I think in most households today, uh, having a second car as an electric car makes a great deal of sense if it fits in your commute patterns. Because if you can get in an electric car and, you know, we, from Elk Grove to Sacramento downtown and uh, you can plug it in down there or you just plug it in when you're home, you're going to be fine. We're all going to be driving electric cars probably 10 years, 15 years from now. But it's, you know, there'll still be a lot of gas cars on the road. But I mean, most of what's being sold new will be some kind of an electric just because of the environment we, that we've got to take care of. And I think it's the right way to go. I think some, you know, as you talk about wealth management, I think some of the values of these electric vehicle companies is interesting to have a conversation about because so many people are betting on them and they're not all going to make it. Right. And are there interesting products with the dealerships that, that you have? Are there some exciting products coming down the, the, the pike that you're aware of in the electric vehicle space? For Nissan, we know for sure we have a vehicle called the Aria, which is uh, an incredible looking SUV that we'll have near the end of this year that we're very excited about on, on everything that we've seen on paper. It's just uh, looks gorgeous and should have the kind of range that makes everyone feel comfortable and, and big and roomy. And, and every car manufacturer out there is working on a lot of electrification and we're all going to have lots of choices in that field here in the next two, three years. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And is it is it a catch-up game to that company that starts with T? You know, I, I, I think that what Tesla has done so well is they've gotten out ahead of things and they've built some cars that when you get on the inside of them are very cool and they drive extremely well. But I, I think you're going to find there's going to be so many other choices out there yeah. that it's going to be a challenge for, for them just to, to have the kind of a leadership position that they have today. I mean, let's face it, as, as exciting as people talk about Tesla, they don't sell that many vehicles relative to what you know the rest of the industry does. How about it? Very, very interesting stuff. You know, John, we talk a lot about on this show the concept and the value of relationship. And you've been in an industry for 40 years that is got to be at the end of the day about relationship. Otherwise, you still wouldn't you still wouldn't be in business. Right. I mean, you've been through wars and pandemics and recessions. And I mean, you've been through so much. How does a consumer today build relationship with their local dealer what what is it what any advice or suggestions that you can make because we i mean we all know the the stories of the car buying experience right 
my first job uh, you know, on Wall Street was a stockbroker. So I was in the box of a stockbroker for decades. And there's a lot of stereotypes that go with that in the same way there's a lot of stereotypes with the process of buying an automobile. But for two guys that love relationship, how would you help listeners develop relationship with people in your industry? Well, I think you start by figuring out the type of car you want and then really doing the research on what kind of reviews that a seller of that brand has. Because you'll see that some dealerships stand very tall and they do a a wonderful job taking care of customers. I mean, the vast majority of our businesses repeat and referral clients. That's great. We, We work really hard at hiring the right kinds of people we train them well, we give them a chance to grow. And, and if people are feeling happy and fulfilled in their job, it's easy for them to serve the clients well. And when they do that, you know, the whole circle works well together, right? People are happy doing business with you. They refer their friends and family, then they come back and they buy again. And those people that work for us get the benefit of that. And, you know, we have some very long tenured salespeople in all of our stores that have a a wonderful client list and you know their customers wouldn't go anywhere else to do business because they know that they're going to be treated properly they're going to get information quickly and and today we focus really so much on trying to do everything safely and and efficiently as possible and because everybody's time is the most valuable thing they have sure that's that's so wonderful to hear i mean you hear all kinds of stories about buying a car today or a used car, whatever whatever that process is. And so it just, I get really excited when I meet a fellow business owner like you that is willing to go through the process and slow the, slow the process down to find the right people, cultivate the right relationship and, and provide that level of service. So that, that really gets me excited. I'm not going to suggest any of this to my daughter because she's going to be banging on me to buy a car this weekend. <laughs> Uh, but we might have to talk offline about that. <laughs> you know, there, there are so many car dealers in this country that are so involved in their local communities and do so much for local charities. And, and they're there when you, when you need them. And we like to think that we do a really good job with that ourselves. And I think it's a big difference in kind of dealing with a large national corporation that, that you don't really know who the face is. I mean, you know, we're a family-run business, right. and we're there every day. One of the owners is in the store, and it, it makes a difference. Locally owned and operated, member of the community, doing yeah. good by uh, the people in that community. Those are those are the businesses we love supporting, John. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, and it's the way it's supposed to work, right? We've been fortunate enough to to do well. We want to make sure we give back and, and have that up, and we're blessed that we have that opportunity. Well, we as uh, I'll speak for myself as as somebody who lives here locally in the Sacramento community, I am incredibly grateful for what For Any Auto Group has meant to this community and how you've contributed greatly to this community. So, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Quite welcome. So, John, you've been really generous with your time today, generous with your knowledge. Appreciate everything that you've shared and the suggestions that you've made for both Jim and me personally, as as well as our community here of fellow financial sobriety followers. There's one question we ask every guest, and it's not the easiest question in the world, but as somebody who is as successful an entrepreneur as you are, I have to imagine that you've experienced some failure along the way. And, and one of the things that we've learned about the most successful entrepreneurs is that they learn from those failures. So one of the things I, I would love to ask that's kind of outside the space of your actual craft 
is if you could just share with our audience in financial sobriety one of the largest financial mistakes you've ever made, how that affected you and what you learned from it to move forward. Oh, that's an interesting question. Probably the biggest mistake I ever made was I had the Subaru dealership in town. I had a, what was called a letter of intent and I had to make a choice on what I could build at the time because I didn't have enough capital to do a couple stores. And I gave the Subaru store back and Subaru has gone on to become very, very successful, much more so than it was when I was looking at it back in 2009. But it's certainly not a crippling event. And I've been very blessed in, in my career that you know, I've stayed focused on the things I can control and I get up every morning and put one foot in front of the other and try to do the right things. And, and uh, so far it's worked out pretty well. So you didn't beat yourself up too badly over that decision. You know, it comes up in my mind every time I see a, a story about how well Subaru is doing, but you know, I, you can't change anything, right? It, it's hindsight's always twenty twenty, and this is gone, this is past, and focus on what you can't control today. Well, if there's one thing my dear partner and, and good friend here has always taught me is that nothing happens to us in this world, everything happens for us. And whatever that experience with Subaru was back then, John, I would imagine that that happened for you in ways that perhaps we don't even fully realize. But I do know as an entrepreneur and business owner in our community, your impact has been great, my friend, and we are grateful for you for that. So thank you for being here today. And if any of our listeners would like to connect with you or for any auto group, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm more than happy to have them email me and I'll do my best to answer any questions that I can and just send it to John, J-O-H-N, at forneyauto.com. And forneyautos, F-O-R-A-N-Y-A-U-T-O.com. That is wonderful. Well, we really enjoyed our time with you today. We appreciate just your candor and open conversation and hope you sell a truckload of cars in a couple of weeks. Thank you, gentlemen. It was great meeting you and talking with you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks, John. All the best. That was awesome. I'm psyched John was there. I didn't get a chance to share a story with him that I'll, I'll share with you. Do you remember that car purchase that I made back in 2010? How can I not? I used to get in so much trouble the way I would roll leases every couple of years. Slow down. Slow down. Roll leases. Yeah, I, I would literally roll my leases. I would go out and lease a car. Yeah. I'd sign a contract. A car. So you'd lease a car you could afford. Uh, I could afford it because I leased it. Ah, ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> right? So you, you leased a, an automobile. That I couldn't normally afford. Right. But because I leased it, I could afford it now. Okay. So because the payment was lower, like John had told us. Got it. But what would happen is I would sign a three- or four-year lease agreement. Okay. And because I was such a train wreck with my money and could barely keep focus, after about a year and a half to two years, I would get bored with that car and I'd want a new one. So this was a boredom issue because you wanted the shiny new Gizmoch. Right. Okay. Or I, I deserved it. Or, oh, keyword. I deserved it. You deserved it because you were out in the fields cracking hot rocks in the sun. Absolutely. Right. Inventing ball bearings and spitzer valves. So now you're taking lease one, I'm bored, and I want the new shiny one. So you somehow transfer what? The well, lease payment? You don't like flush that? Oh, actually, you can't hand it back to them because you've got a contract for three or four years. So what I would do is I would go trade that car in to a new lease. 
The problem with that is, which at the time I'd completely ignore, is that I would ignore the fact that I still had anywhere from one to two years worth of lease payments plus whatever depreciation, right, whatever the car has lost in value relative to what I owed in this lease. So all of that debt that it accumulated on the car, because I learned in the first few years of, of having a car is, is when the greatest amount of depreciation comes in, all of that debt that I still owed and the car was worth a lot less rolled into the next lease agreement. I had to pay oh, it somehow. Oh, that's special. That must feel really comfortable. Sure. So, each, And then did you do it again? I did this three times. Oh, cool. I did that it. That sounds like a real fun thing. It started with a Honda Accord. It migrated into an into a small Audi A4, and then that went into an Audi A6, a little bigger car, and then that went into another Audi A6 because I had to get one more in before I left Seattle and moved here to Sacramento. When that lease payment was finally done, this was a 2002 Audi A6 that should have been about a $400 a month lease payment back in the day. Mm. My lease payment was six hundred. I'm myself. Six hundred and eighty dollars a month for the house, right? For the house on wheels. Uh, oh, which in today, wow. in today's dollars is probably more like a twelve or thirteen hundred dollar a month lease. Wow. When that lease was finally over, I had met you shortly before that. Yep. We decided to actually buy the rest of the car and drive the wheels off of it. Yep. And it was at the time that that car was falling apart, it needed a new timing belt. I had just experienced the horrific experience of being completely broke in 2005. You had sent us off on this little austerity diet, and I needed a new car. And thankfully— So you you leased a new Audi? I didn't. As much as you encouraged me to— I mean, you were telling me, swing big, buddy. Go go for it. Why not? Go get the big one. Go get the A8 while you're at it. Sure, why not? Why not? Instead, we found one of John's dealerships. We found his Infinity dealership in Roseville, only I didn't get an Infinity. He had on his lot this ugly green Ford Crown Victoria with a sticker in it for $12,000. I walked in. I met the nicest car salesman I've ever met in my life. He's probably still there. He's probably still there. Based on our conversation with John. Yep. I said, hey, for eleven grand, i will take that eyesore off your lot. We met in the middle at eleven five. And I drove the wheels off that Ford Crown Victoria. Wow. And it felt so good. Why? Why did it feel good? And I'm not picking on my friends that own Crown Vicks, but an old, big, trusty, rusty like that versus your slick Audi A6. Why did that feel good? First, it felt good because I could afford the car. It also felt good because I wasn't driving my wealth around town. The wealth that I was accumulating was accumulating in its proper place, and it wasn't being wasted and spent on this car that I was driving around town. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the primary reason it felt good was because I was driving a car that could get me from point A to B and help me accomplish what I needed to accomplish without having to feel the need to impress anybody. There you go. I was starting to get to a point where I was more comfortable in my own skin, recognized my value as a human being, and that it really didn't matter what anybody else thought anymore. What the bling was on the outside. It didn't matter. Yeah. So the fact that I could afford this car easily to where I could write a check for it 
the fact that it really didn't matter what anybody else thought about it. It was one of the first big steps I took along this journey of financial sobriety, and I will never forget it. It just... That is an awesome story. It meant a lot to me. And so often when we're talking with clients, I think there's conversations to be had around buying a car. Absolutely. Is this a car that you intend to have for a very long time? What are the features? What are you looking for in a vehicle? What stage of life are you in, right? So Beth and I have gone through that people mover stage where we needed the minivans and, you know, the sliding doors because we didn't want a little one to go bang somebody's fancy SUV next to us. Oh, is that why they do that on a minivan? Oh, come on, I dude. never knew that. I yeah. never did the minivan thing. Oh, yeah. That's My... what the sliding doors are for? Yes, sir. Okay. Rebob. I learn something every, every day. Your stage of life changes, right? So... Are you going to have this car just like the 30-year mortgage, right? Are you, yeah. Is this the last car you're ever going to own? Then buy the darn thing. Yeah. Well, it, If this it, is a temporary place filler or it's a stage of life where you're not exactly sure if the last car is you're going to own, or you've reached a stage like a lot of our retired clients where the frustration. Yeah, you just don't want to deal with the maintenance of an older car. The maintenance and the frustration and all the technology and the, the screens and the you just don't want to bother with it. And my darling father-in-law, who I've, I, I just love him to pieces, a number of years ago, he was asking me, what should I do? Should I, should I buy this car? Should I finance it or lease it? And I, I strongly recommended that he lease it. And initially, he wasn't too keen on the idea because, you know, leases don't always have the best perception from right. a financial decision-making standpoint. And after a couple of leases of cars that fit their needs beautifully, they bought the last one because they realized... They're not putting a lot of miles on it. It's a very low-maintenance vehicle to own. But that whole concept of just handing in the keys three years later gave them a lot of peace of mind to not have to worry about maintenance. So the point to these little stories is that take the time to be intentional. Take the time to think through what, what do you need in a car. I'm joking about daughter Emily all of a sudden needing a vehicle. Well, this isn't a vehicle she's going to own for a decade. Her life's going to be all over the place most likely. So let's let's think about it. Let's kind of be intentional, slow it down, have the conversations, plan it out, and then call a wealth of experience pro like John and have him help us. Absolutely. Well, I think just looking at the theme this month in February with being Finance February, we've brought people into the show who can help people with two of the largest financial transactions they will ever make in their life. And the biggest takeaway for me, and I'm always going to be a proponent of this, no matter how seamless the online transaction can be, from buying a house and a mortgage to buying a car, there's something about having a relationship and having another person to help me see my blind spots, help me have all the information and the data that I need to make a smart financial decision. Because if there's one thing I've learned in this entire journey of financial sobriety— is that the decisions I make and the relationship that I have with my money is going to have a profound impact on the relationship I have with the people in my life and the relationship I have with myself. And, Prim what, and what's that worth, my dear friend? Priceless. If you think it's expensive to hire a professional, you should see how expensive it is to hire an amateur or to do it yourself. That's good advice, my friend. We always will lean in the direction of relationship over transaction, and these guests have been wonderful examples of that. Well, I guess that, brother, is a wrap. 
If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.